For years, dads in the media have been portrayed as fools and bumbling idiots, the constant butt of jokes. But according to a mountain of statistics, dads are one of the most stabilizing factors in a home and in the futures of their children. Hi, I'm Colin Lambert, and this is the Dad Ain't No Joke podcast. Our mission's simple, change the narrative about dads. Feature dads who are doing their best to serve their families and build a community of dads committed to those they love. Each episode will seek to have quality conversations with dads who are known or unknown about their highest highs and lowest lows, and with experts in the field who can share some of the most important elements dads bring to the family. Dad, one of the most challenging and rewarding jobs in the world. Well, Bob Lapine is the morning host on Family Radio. He was the longtime co-host of Family Life Today, host voice for Truth For Life. He serves as a pastor at Redeemer Community Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. He's an author of books about marriage like Love Like You Mean It, The Heart of a Marriage That Honors God, The Christian Husband, Build a Stronger Marriage, Married to Marianne for a quite a number of years. We'll get the full uh, scoop on that. Bob, great to have you on the podcast. Tell us a little bit about your family structure, just so we know uh, who all is in the house or not in the house anymore. <laughs> Marianne and I got married in 1979, started having our family uh, in, in 1981. Our daughter Amy was born in 81, daughter Katie in uh, 84. Our son James was born in 88 then John in 91, and David in 94. And I think I should get some credit for knowing all those years. <laughs> I can even give you the actual dates of their birth. So uh, they, they were born every three to three and a half years, not by our design, but that seemed to be when God gave us our five kids. And they are all now married and living out of state. And we are the grandparents to uh, soon to be our 11th grandchild. So it's it's 10 plus one on the way right now. That's awesome. Congratulations. I want to go back to those first days of marriage before Amy came along. You're living your life. You're going along, newly married. You get to the point that you find out that first child is coming. Take me back to mm. what you remember about those moments. So I remember Marianne showing up at work, which was unusual for her to show up at 1030 in the morning at, at the radio station where I was working. Somebody said, your wife's here. And I went, what, what's that all about? And she was smiling as she came in. And she had just been to the doctor. This was before you could do home pregnancy tests. This is when you had to have a doctor confirm things. And she came in with the news that we were going to have a baby. Um, she was she was on cloud nine. I I was happy with the news, but I I have to tell you, Colin. I and this I say this to my shame. I was an in the moment husband and dad more than I was a uh, a. a a visionary dad. If 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 I could go back and start over again, I would view my role as a husband and a father with a little more strategic focus. I, I'd view it more like I viewed my my career, where I'm looking and saying, okay, what are our goals? What are our objectives? What's the strategy to get there? I'd do a little more strategic planning. So she came, said, "We're gonna, we're, we're I'm pregnant." I said, "That's wonderful." We hugged, we kissed, and and eight eight months later, seven and a half months later, we had a baby come in. Here's here's the biggest thing I remember about that was doing the math, because Marianne was a a nurse practicing uh, as as a nurse at the time that 
we found out that she was expecting. So when it came to month eight and a half, she resigned her nursing position. She wanted to be home with our daughter. I wanted her to be home with our daughter. But as I did the math, I thought two incomes and two mouths. We're going from that to one income and three mouths. And by the way, the income we're going to is the lesser of the two incomes that we had. How's this going to work? And I didn't know how it was going to work. If I sat down and did the math, it didn't look like it was going to work. But we took that step of faith. And along the way, God blessed and provided. And we just stayed faithful to what God had called us to. And he continued to provide for our needs in the midst of all of that. So that's kind of the the biggest thing was, how do I make this work financially and God took care of that for us. You know, that's one of those dad things I don't know that we talk about a lot, but I have felt it throughout my life, the pressure of providing. Mm-hmm. And uh, early in my marriage, my wife was making more than me. So anytime something changed, it was all back back on me. And uh, I understand that. And boy, uh, as you said, God has come through so many times. Maybe we'll talk about a couple of those as we go today. Uh, go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to say related to that. One of the things I've told my kids and I tell people in our church, I don't know that I can draw a correlation other than than what the Bible tells me on this, but we've been faithful all the way through our marriage to be to be giving to our local church on a regular basis to make that a priority. That's the first check we write every month. And I I have to believe that a part of God's care for us was in that commitment to want to be active and involved in giving to our local church. Um, sometimes it was less than the 10% that that is kind of that benchmark number, but but there I don't think there's ever been a month where we didn't give. And uh, there were times when I held my breath to do it, but uh, I, I would just say to dads, that priority has served me well. And I've never met a dad who said, you know, I think that was the downfall of us financially, was us supporting our local church and and being <laughs> givers. I think just the opposite is true. God God is faithful to care for those who seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Uh, let's move forward to the birth of that uh, first little girl, Amy. Mm-hmm. Uh, did your heart, did your mindset change at all as you met that little creature for the first time? Well, it, and this kind of goes to that whole provision question, because uh, yes, things changed for, for both Marianne and me. Our priorities changed, what we valued, what was important to us changed when we welcomed Amy into our home. Things that we had spent money on before, now we weren't, like like I remember before Amy was born, I said, let's build a deck on the back. You know, our house didn't have a deck, let's build it. And we We built the deck and we were glad to have the deck. It was a good investment in the home. But by the time Amy was born, we had we had bigger priorities than a home improvement. Or before Amy was born, I said to Marianne one time, you know, we can do this. Let's let's go to Cancun for the weekend. And so we did. We just took off, went to Cancun. We found some cheap deal on the airlines and some cheap hotels, and we jetted off for a few days. Well, after Amy was born, instead of going, gee, now we can't go to Cancun the way we used to. Now we were like, now we, we've got something new and honestly better than 
running off to Cancun for the weekend, something more meaningful, something that that our heart was more knit to. So yeah, having a child in the home reshaped what our priorities were. And one of the things we had to learn was that our home was not going to be child-centered because our heart was kind of like, now we have this new child. We we want this new child to be, this is important to us. So there's a temptation to want to build your life and your marriage with the child at the center. We had to train ourselves not to be child-centered in our parenting, but to welcome a new child into a family structure and and uh, th- that was that was a joy and a priority for us. Boy, that's so important. Thank you for mentioning that. Uh, talk for a moment about child number two, three, four, five. <laughs> Did you react differently to each the news of each of the successive children? Was the arrival of each of them for you different and unique in the way that that you greeted them? And uh, maybe a quick thought or two about the difference between boys and girls from the very beginning. Yeah, we experienced secondary infertility um, after the birth of Amy. We, Marianne had wanted to become pregnant sooner than we were able to. So there was a three and a half year gap. We were not doing anything to inhibit that and we were not getting pregnant. And in fact, um, we were starting to experiment with fertility treatment when we got pregnant with Katie. So we were excited because God had provided in the midst of what had been a hard season of of fertility issues for us. And and when Katie was born, we had we had just moved. We were living in a new city, didn't have any friends. Um, so it was a it was a different experience because the social dynamic was different. We were away from family, without friends, new job. And um, it was a joy, but it was it was a different moment for us as a family. And then our son James was born. He was actually born uh, three days after my dad died. Mm. I flew home from my dad's memorial service and walked in the back door, and my wife was in labor. So over a a fourteen hour period, I went from a eulogy for my dad at his memorial service to the birth of my son, wow. who was named after my dad. So that was that was a a powerful moment, obviously for us. It, it, grief and joy mixed together. And then the last little story I'll tell: when when we found out we were pregnant with our fifth, with David, th- this was kind of one of those. Rather than us, we we were we were always kind of like we're open to whatever God has for us, family wise. But Marianne said, you know, I'm a little late this month. And we were at Sam's Wholesale Club. And I said, well, do you want to buy a three-pack? Because that's what you have to buy of of pregnancy (laughs) tests there. You can't just buy one. So we bought the three-pack. And I said, why don't you just go in the bathroom here at Sam's and see? Why don't we just find out here? So she did. She went in the bathroom at Sam's and walked out of the bathroom nodding, you know, and and we embraced and we, we were happy with that. I remember telling my mom we were expecting number five. And my mom was aghast, like, why are you having all of these children? <laughs> Five kids. And my mom later told me, what would our life be like without David? Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it, yeah, ha- having these kids, each one was a unique experience, a unique joy in the middle of unique challenges each time. But, but each one we understood theologically 
children are a blessing from the Lord. We looked on, on them that way. And so when God blessed our family, we received that blessing with joy. Uh, before we move on to the kids and some of the ups and downs with the kids, I'm going to go back for a moment to the infertility uh, comments that you made. Uh, I believe just from looking at people's lives and hearing interviews and talking to people about their experiences that men and women probably process that experience of infertility a little bit differently. How did that impact you? What were your thoughts? What were your prayers during that time? It was it was more of a a burden for my wife than it was for me, honestly. Um, and and I just remember I remember us driving. We were on a trip going up to uh, see my parents in Kansas City, and uh, she was crying in the car, and she was saying, "How do I make sense of?" the Bible verses that says God blesses uh, you with children and the children are a blessing and God is withholding a blessing from me. There was, she was angry. Uh, was she angry with God? She was angry with the circumstance and trying to make sense in the middle of that. And I remember us talking about it and praying about it and recognizing that it is God who opens and closes the womb and that we were going to have to just walk our path by faith, we we never got to the point where we we had to where we thought about adoption as a way to begin a family because God provided kids along the way. Uh, I I can imagine we would have come to that point, and I trust that we would have been open to that as uh, as God's provision for our family. And not everybody's called to that. You you know the 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 drill on this but yes it was hard emotionally for Marianne and and what both of us had to do was we had to renew our minds and remind ourselves of what the bible says is true and that everybody's circumstance is unique and if god for whatever reason leaves the womb closed for a couple then we have to explore what are our options there what do we want to do and proceed prayerfully um in, in the midst of that for some couples that's going to be different fertility options. For some couples, that's going to be adoption. For some couples, it's going to be uh, that that you are going to be childless. But I would say to those childless couples, God still has a plan for you to be involved in the children who are a part of the covenant community that you're in. And you can be a blessing to the moms and dads in your local church by being aunts and uncles to dozens of kids that you know, whether you're whether you teach the third grade class or the Awana program or whatever else, you can be uh, you can be helping to shape. I, I think all of us have a responsibility to shape the next generation, whether there are kids or other kids, even in the stage of life that we're in now, where we don't have kids at home, we have a responsibility to help point the kids in our sphere of influence in the right direction. So if infertility visits a couple that visits your family, I think you look at that prayerfully, and I think you follow the Lord's guidance, and you counsel your own heart and your own emotions. You take your your pain to God. He He can handle it, and He'll meet you there with it. Uh, obviously, from the beginning of your relationship, your marriage, and having kids, you all already had a faith walk. You were followers of Christ. Uh, did you all talk before the first kids 
came or along with Amy coming and then a few years later, Katie, and as you went down the line, did you talk through faith matters? In other words, specifically things related to the kids. Hey, we're going to have a a time of devotion every night, or we're going to do this at dinner, or we're... did you have those conversations uh, early on? If not early on, when did that come around? If you did at any point, yeah, we didn't early on. And again, if I was with a young dad today, I would say, "What's your strategic plan? It should be an 18-year plan, because you are building a human being over the next 18 years. You should know what your mission, your vision, your values are." You should have your strategic objectives lined out, and spiritual formation should be at the top of that list, and you should be developing a a strategic plan for that. So it was to my failing that, that I didn't, I hadn't seen that in my own home growing up, didn't have that as a pattern. And early on when when I would make a clumsy attempt at some kind of spiritual formation with our young kids, I always walked away going, well, that was a failure. And I think most guys who try something and they're not good at it, you try it three or four times and you go, well, I'm just not good at this, so I'm not going to do it anymore. But but I have to tell you a story. I interviewed on Family Life Today, Don Whitney, who is a professor at Southern Seminary and has written a book on uh, spiritual formation in the family. And I, I love this story. Don Whitney said they were faithful to do Bible reading regularly at family meals. And here's Don Whitney, who's written a book on this and who's a professor. And he said, and it felt to me every time like this is a waste of time. My kids aren't listening. They're not paying any attention. They're just waiting. Like as soon as you get done with the verse, they go, are we done? Can I leave now? (laughs) It's like he just felt like a failure. And then when his daughter graduated from high school, she was one of the people who gave a graduation speech at their high school. And through tears, she shared with everybody how meaningful it was that her dad read the Bible. And her dad was in the audience thinking, it sure didn't seem meaningful at the time. You sure weren't acting like it was meaningful. And I think as dads, we have to recognize uh, what what I didn't recognize soon enough. And that is that the, the discipline of saying the Bible is important and we're going to turn to it and we're going to read from it. We're going to hear what God has to say. Even if the individual moment feels like it's not having any impact, the cumulative effect of doing that over and over again sends a message to your kids. They may never remember a specific devotional moment, but they remember the Bible was a priority in our home and we read from it. And you have no idea the seeds God will plant in the midst of this, even when the child has his head back and his eyes closed, and it seems like he's not even paying attention. Uh, I would just say the faithfulness in doing it should be a significant discipline. I remember Stephen Kendrick, one of the the filmmakers, the Kendrick Brothers movies guys, he said, we do real simple. He said, I will read two paragraphs from the Bible. I'll say, does anything, anybody have anything we should be praying about? We take a few minutes to pray, and then we sing a song together. He said, we do that every night. It's that simple. He said, most nights, I feel like that didn't accomplish much, but we're going to do it every night on an ongoing basis. And just those three elements, our kids now come to expect it. He said, in fact, the older kids now say to us, we're doing devotions tonight, right? When are we doing devotions? They, they prompt it. 
So I'd just say that should be a part of your strategic plan as a dad. Uh, Bob, you were on Family Life today for so many years and just such a, a part of Christian radio in general. You've already mentioned a couple of people that you spoke to or interviewed. I assume that your radio life, because of the content that you were doing, impacted your marriage, certainly, because you've written books about it, but it it had to have impacted your parenting as well. Oh, in a huge way. Dennis Rainey and I used to walk out of the studio and say, we need to go home because we just, what we just heard in the conversation we just had, we got to make some adjustments. We got to do some things differently. We need to ask for forgiveness or we need to do this. Yeah, I, I felt like I was being daily discipled in the issue of marriage and family which I, I hope for listeners, it was the same kind of experience where they were being reminded and discipled and uh, kept on track spiritually. It, it served that function for me. And then there were new ideas that popped up where I, I would sit and be having a conversation. I remember talking to a guy from Oklahoma City who talked about how he and his wife developed their family mission statement together. And how they had taken a weekend away and they'd spent time thinking about what do we want our priorities to be. Dennis Rainey and I'd had the same conversation. Dennis talked about a weekend when he and Barbara had gone away and they had found themselves valuing different things in their family. Dennis on Saturday valued recreation and fun with the kids. Barbara valued chores and getting work done. And so when Dennis is saying, I'll take the kids and go fishing, she's saying, who's going to mow the yard, right? <laughs> so they had to get away and say, okay, we do want our kids to grow up with a work ethic. We also want to have make memories with our kids and begin to plot out. These are our values. These are the values we want to communicate to our kids and begin to shape that. As I would hear these conversations as a part of, of the work we were doing at Family Life, uh, I would bring those home. I, I would bring home devotional thought. I remember one night we had interviewed Jim Weidman, who worked at Focus on the Family and developed uh, uh, books of devotions that you could do with the kids. And I came home that night and I said, we're going to do something after dinner. So we have, we're a two-story house. I, I had the kids at the top of the stairs and I went down to the bottom of the stairs. And I said, I will give $20 to any of you who can get from the top to the bottom without your feet touching a stair or a stairway <laughs> and without your hands on the handrails. <laughs> so they, they're up at the top and they're trying to figure out how to do it. And one of my kids is trying to jump farther than he should jump, you know, to get it done. But finally, they, I said, and there's a way to do it. And so after they were stymied for a while... I went up to the top and I said to one of my kids, hop on my back. And I carried them down the stairs to the bottom. And I say, see, you got from the top to the bottom, but you couldn't do it on your own. You needed somebody else. Mm. And so we talked about how we're dependent on one another to accomplish things and about how ultimately we can't accomplish our, our own spiritual walk. We need Jesus to carry us. And it was just one of those, our kids still remember that night. And it's all because of a conversation we had on Family Life Today. So, yeah, those those daily deposits were so significant in my marriage and in my parenting. Let's talk for a minute about uh, highlights and lowlights, if you will. Uh, maybe, uh, and not with each kid necessarily, but just kids in general, your kids, things you look back on, maybe a highlight or two now that they're grown and, and out of the house. What thing or two come to your mind? Well, I, I think... 
the highlights for us was always when we saw God stirring in some way in their lives, when we saw an, an interest that was not just something we had suggested, but they were taking, they were beginning to make their faith their own. And and so those moments were always the most encouraging. Now, let me tell you in the midst of that, there were also those moments where Marianne and I would be driving to our small group from church and we'd be going, our kids are all going to jail. I, I'm convinced they will all be in prison someday because they, they were just acting out and they were, uh, there was the night that Katie was supposed to be home at midnight and she wasn't. And at 1245, I'm out driving over to a friend's house to see if she's over there. And she was and picking her up and you're grounded. There was a time I saw that one of my sons had been looking at stuff on the computer that he shouldn't be looking at. And we had to, we had to deal with that. Uh, there came the point, Colin, when uh, we got the call from our son on a Saturday morning and he was in college at the time. And he said, um, I'm in jail. Mm. I got arrested for a DUI last night. Mm. And so we had to drive up and figure out on the way up, do we leave him in jail? Do we bail him out? What What's the next step? How do you handle these kinds of things? And every parent, every family is going to have those kinds of moments. In fact, we, we have this idea, we look at other families, you hear a guy on the radio and you think, well, they don't have those problems. Sure, we all do. Yeah. We've yeah. all got those stories to tell. We've all got those faith moments where our kids go sideways and we we look at that and go, What's going on here that that keeps you prayerful? I remember early on a conversation we had with R.C. Sproul, and he told us that his son, R.C. Jr., had gotten engaged to a non-Christian. Now, here you are, R.C. Sproul, your son's engaged to a non-Christian. I said, what did you do? He said, well, I'll tell you what my wife Vesta did. She wore out the rug in our in our bedroom on her knees praying every day. And I tried to figure out what do I say to my son that is not too much because too much might drive him completely away, but is not too little either. And so working that all through, ultimately, R.C. Jr. called off the engagement. So th there was there was that moment. But, you know, our kids are going to make choices that we're going to be saddened by that are going to be hard for us as parents and this is where we have to stay prayerful and dependent and recognize ultimately God loves them more than we do. We are stewards. We want to be faithful to steward our kids in the right way and then trust him in the middle of those hard times because we're all going to have them. Uh, that was exactly where I was going to go with the next question was, uh, you know, the difference, main difference you see between parenting uh, small children at home and parenting once they've left the nest. Yeah. Uh, that is where we are right now. And boy, is it a challenge to try <laughs> to figure out what to say and what not to say. Jim Burns, who is uh, an author and somebody that we interviewed a number of times on Family Life Today, wrote a book on parenting adult children. And the subtitle, I don't I don't remember the title, but the subtitle's worth the price of the book. It's Keep the Welcome Mat Out and Your Mouth Shut. <laughs> and and I think that's just a good summary. Now that that's not absolute. There are times you speak up as a parent, but you want your kids to know the welcome mat is always out. Dennis Rainey used to say, you never want to blow up the bridge between you and the child because if the bridge is out, there's no truth that can ever be carried mm. from one place to the other. And so you you prioritize the relationship even when your kids are making choices that you would not affirm. 
and you pray and you look for opportunities to have the conversation. I've also found myself praying that God would bring along others to have that conversation, recognizing that my kids are going to hear stuff differently from their peers or from somebody else than they're going to hear it from me. And so uh, I bite my tongue a lot. I, I prayerfully decide what I'm going to say or when I'm going to say it when they're making choices that we don't agree with. And then we trust that the Lord cares about them more than we do. Uh, I'm going to ask you to give two uh, little bits of advice. Uh, someone listening today who is a new dad, baby's on the way, or a brand new baby and not quite old enough to start doing a lot yet, uh, that word of advice for that brand new dad. And then secondly, for a dad who might be listening today who feels like, I have blown it through the years, and I don't want to waste any more time on on a, on being a blown out dad, I I want to turn this thing around. I want to I want to try to make some of this right to end in a good place. Uh, maybe a word of advice or thoughts for those two extremes. It's a, so the new dad, I would say, um, think like a CEO. You're the CEO of your family, and and think strategically about what it is that you want the end process to look like and aim for it and then figure out what are going to be the 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 middle pieces. I I I wanted to be the camp counselor dad. I'm here to provide the fun and the memories and all of that, but I wasn't thinking as formatively as as I'd like to. So uh you're going to release a child 18 years from now or 17 or 16 wherever you are over those years what's going to be your process to help them Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and man. You take those four categories. That's Luke 2.52. How, your, your child's going to grow in stature on his own. Uh, he's going to grow in wisdom based on, on what you provide to him. So how are you going to help that child grow in wisdom? He's going to grow in favor with God and man, again, as you help guide and shape his life. Make those your categories and aim for those. And then for the dad who finds himself looking and going, I, I've not done this well or done this right, and my my daughter's 15, and it feels like I've wasted a whole lot of time, I would say, this is what I love about the gospel, and what I love about the fact that the Apostle Paul, who was murdering Christians, uh, looked back and he said, uh, yes, I have a background, but these, this thing I do, I press on, I look forward, I forget what lies behind. Not forget it in the sense that it doesn't impact me, but but forget it in the sense that it's not shaping where I'm going. You know, I, I think you remember this. I had the opportunity to executive produce a movie at Family Life called Like Arrows. And the story of the movie was about a mom and a dad in the middle of their parenting who woke up and said, we have not been doing this right and they made the pivot and made the change, and they started making new priorities. They sat down with their kids and said, we're going to do things a little differently, and they changed the trajectory of their family in the midst of that. That movie's on Pure Flix right now. Folks want to watch it, by the way, um, but it's never too late. It's never too late for somebody to turn around. In fact, I would say your turnaround could be the most significant thing that happens in your child's life because they've experienced what they've experienced. To see you change, repent, head in a new direction, do it imperfectly, uh, when they see that happen, they know that the gospel is real, 
and that God can bring change into somebody's life and somebody's family. Bob Lapine, a father, a grandfather, a husband, all around great guy. And uh, Bob, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for your time today. It has been a, a treasure and thanks for sharing part of your life with us. Great to be with you, Colin, as always. Well, my thanks to Bob for joining me today. I pray that something that's been shared will be helpful for you in the days ahead. If you want to learn more about Bob or the podcast, please stop by our new and growing website, dadain'tnojoke.com. That's dadain'tnojoke.com. I would also covet your feedback. Please like the podcast, share it, leave your comments. It really does make a difference. While it may not be the toughest job on the planet, being dad is an important and impactful assignment. May God give us the strength and wisdom to do it well. And remember, dad ain't no joke. We'll see you next time. And happy Father's Day.